Hello and welcome to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always, my good friend, Jim Sam. How you doing, brother? Oh, man, I'm good. I uh, Except uh, it's bittersweet today, Gary. It's our last show of the regular season. Um, yeah. We're supposed to have Josh on. He's he's attempting, Josh Taylor, he's attempting, I think, <laughs> to get on. But uh, so I'm excited about that. I just, yeah, this is, this, is, this is the end of the season right here. Well, when he comes along, we'll pop him right in seamlessly because we're pros at this sort of thing. You know what I mean? And these these stars, man, they want they want these grand entrances anymore. <laughs> I mean, typical, I don't typical Josh Taylor. I don't have no theme song, but <laughs> let's let's get started with some of the things we wanted to talk about today, though, because with or without Josh, we have opinions, and and we definitely wanted to get them out there. What did you think of this whole Josh Hader story out in San Diego, where he refused to to pitch? And before you answer that, let's go ahead and intro Josh. See, see how he does that. There's I knew the start that, of the show. I, I knew, knew as soon as we started it. it. I knew as soon as we started it. So, anyways, the reason I don't have Josh on is because I don't feel like reading the encyclopedia of all of what he is and does. He's an author, ninety-three-seven, the fan host, KDKA TV host. You see him on the nightly sports call. He helped launch this show. When we flipped the switch to video, Josh was our wow. very first guest. Really? I yep. totally forgot about that. Wow. And I know he's used to getting on these shows, and then everyone's like, oh, let's ask the smarty sports host all these questions <laughs> and make him answer the whole time. But I'll be honest. I invite Josh on this show because Josh is my baseball buddy. I just want to talk ball with Josh. That's all we're going to do today. Say hello, I- brother. I never have a problem with it. It is good to be back. Thanks for having me, fellas. It's, it's it is an honor, and I, I totally forgot that I was the first guy when you guys pivoted to video. That's that's a high high honor. So I, I don't take it lightly. I, I appreciate it, Gary. I'm the same way. When I come to talk to you guys, it's not even just about answering questions. It's not about you know what hot take I can grow, get out there so you guys can get up on social. I'm talking ball. It just it's pretty much what it is yep. with me. Most of the times I'm hosting a show, that's kind of my aim. It's just, hey, let let me get all the other stuff out of the way. Let me just talk some ball and just kind of get myself comfortable from there. I never really get the space to stretch out and do that. Maybe that's why shows like this is so so important. But a um, lot lot a uh, lot fewer time constraints to do that. So yep. well, it's sit, good to be back, back and good talk to you guys. Sit back, relax. We'll send all the hard questions or comments straight to you. <laughs> so, so Jim and I were just getting ready to kick kick off with a juicy one because we thought we'd start with a little bit of a look around the league there's been some interesting things that i think we can talk about one of them was this josh Hader situation out in san diego yes so apparently for a couple years now it's been going on that he won't pitch more than one inning which is fine i think Hmm. there's a lot of pitchers that probably should have that kind of feeling on on their arm right but the reason that he did it is because Milwaukee beat him up in arbitration because he was doing those up downs. So he was like, fine, I won't do it. But here it carried over after his trade to San Diego. He he just let them go ahead and eat the crap. Milwaukee fed him. Right. (laughs) What did you think of that situation? Because I know Jim's got some feelings. 
And if I'm blindsiding you, by all means, defer to him first. <laughs> no, it, it's it it's a question of not even the player themselves, like the players themselves, as far as if they're you know acting in good faith, but it's his particular ethos behind it. It's partic- his particular motivation behind it. Josh Hader is pretty much reacting to something that you know that's a door that his organization opened in arbitration. And I think that's something that people don't realize is that when we talk about players earning certain numbers and trying to, you know, p- people talk about, Oh, this guy's trying to pad his stats. Yeah. That's how he's getting paid. So that's how he's going to get whatever money that his agent thinks he's worth or whatever money that the mar- market dictates that he's worth, that players are going to try to do what they can to pad their stats, if you will, to determine <laughs> this is what I'm worth to get what they're paid. Because at the end of the day, this is their livelihood. We t- turn it off and on to watch each day because it's entertainment to us. This is how these guys actually make their living and feed their families. I know it sounds right. like a generalized statement, but no, from Josh Hader's perspective, do the same thing to Burns. Exactly. Right? So from Josh Hader's perspective, I understand it from the case of, hey, this could come back to hurt me in the long run. At the same time, when when you're in a position where you're contending you might tend to be a little bit more flexible with that because you're out there trying to win games too at the end of the day. Right. Because that's why the team has you there is to win because they think your contribution will help them win games. Now, if you're the Padres, on the other hand, (laughs) that's an entirely different dynamic because I I saw a comment in there saying the Padres have issues. Yeah. They are, they are great. And they are many. And Josh Hader is not on the top of that list right now, (laughs) but nor will he but, be next year. Nor will he be next <laughs> yeah. year. Well, that's the other thing, right? That's I the think. other thing. That's the other thing. For yeah. for him, it's like, look, I, I got to make sure I'm doing the thing to protect myself. Am I saying that that's the right thing to do or the ethical thing to do? No. But from right. the player's perspective, given some of the situations that players are put in and how they tend to come back and backfire against the player down the road, I see it from his perspective. I don't think anybody wins in that scenario, though. I don't think he wins. I don't think the Padres win. I think it just looks bad for everybody involved. Now, Jim, I I know you have some comments. I'm going to toss it to you. But before I do, I think my observation from this whole thing was this has been going on all year. This coach has been eating a crap sandwich. He's (laughs) wanted to use him multiple times, probably, to win a game that they ended up losing and led to this record that they have, right? And he finally just decided to publicly serve it up to everybody. So they knew exactly what they was going to be buying in free agency, man. What do you think? Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's a pretty layered discussion. I actually think, and that's, that's a good way to describe it. Honestly. Yeah. And, um, not conducive to Twitter, but okay. No, but that's why this is, this is the perfect space for it because I mean, I'll start off by saying, I think from a player's perspective, I if it were me, I'd have a hard time looking my teammates in the eye and saying, I didn't want to go out there and, and fight whenever we were still technically in it. You know, and vice a, versa. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of guys out there that are playing less than a hundred percent. And yeah. they are doing it at the uh, possible expense themselves. We just watched Kutch do it for an entire season. We really, yeah, it, yeah. It's he's not the only guy, and not even in the discourse of this team. So I think he, Brian Hayes, did it for a while too. Oh yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> that's the biggest issue, like the competitor uh, 
from uh, in me would say I would have a real hard time doing that to my teammates. I, I would probably say, okay, I'm going to do the right thing here and hope it works out. And I think technically, you know, if you, if you try to do that, it, 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 it serves you well, not only in sports and in life, but, uh, but to Josh's point, arbitration hearings can be a little insulting. Sure. And we've seen that here. We, we hear about it in other places and they, they leave bad tastes in players' mouths. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I see it both ways. I, I, I can't imagine what that would look like if David Bednar did that here in Pittsburgh. Let's say that Oof. he was, you know, how, does, how would that be received? I can tell you, I don't think it'd be received very well. Um, and so that's the thing that popped into my mind right after you mentioned it, Gary. I was like, I wonder, I wonder if it, if it happened here, how that would be, you know, how that would be digested. So it's, this story's got so many more tentacles than I think, you know, we were even like thinking about because it, it makes me think things like, this is why, why a guy like Bob Nutting, of all people, steps in to make sure this doesn't happen to Brian Reynolds. Like, this is why it was so key to sign that stupid two-year contract, just to shut that down, so that he didn't go through this process, especially with him. He's the type of player that I don't think he's going to forget when he hears things like that. Hmm. You got to understand who you're dealing with. There's some of these guys that, like, Taking them to arbitration is just a horrible idea from the jump. <laughs> like they're not going to take it well. And, and I just think you can say, oh, they should man up and just eat it. They're professional athletes, but uh, okay. I, what, what should be and what is are two different things often in, in the world of reality. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll leave it at this. My last comment on it is I just look at it. Like if they were out of the playoffs, chance the running you know and i know their odds aren't weren't great at the time right then i think it's a different conversation and i think the team should 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 uh acquiesce in that situation as well and say hey you know we want you to take care of yourself but i think there's an all hands on deck mentality that has to be there for players when it still counts and you can still get there so well you know jim we got to pay bills so let's take a quick break we'll come right back and we're going to pick up talking a little bit more of this national baseball news type stuff because it's it's a lot of fun DK Pittsburgh Sports, we take pride in coverage that connects our city's fans to their favorite teams. Now, that connection's stronger than ever. Introducing our all-new state-of-the-art app. Find expert inside reporting and original podcasts. Check live box scores. Track the latest stats. Chat it up with our community of thousands of fans, all in one place. The new app from DK Pittsburgh Sports. Coverage that connects. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. We are joined by Josh Taylor, and everybody knows good old Jim Stam. We're ready to talk some more ball. So, Ronald Acuna, I think right now, the debate is, is he the best player in baseball? 
you know, Shoyo Tani being hurt certainly helps that argument. It, it's kind of cool looking at this league right now, Josh, that we can literally have a conversation about this and have it be detailed and still have it be a real debate. There truly is a player that's like almost performing just as well in Mookie Betts. It's unbelievable how how good the talent level is in baseball right now. They make a lot of mistakes in this league, but the talent right now is off the hook, especially some of this young talent. I was in a discussion about guys like Acuna, like Otani, like Mookie Betts. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks back on the, the sports call. And I was talking about how baseball has shifted to being a sport where because there, there was a time period, remember you remember way back in the day where the best players going into the draft play multiple sports. They played football, they played basketball, they did whatever, but they ended up playing baseball and had good careers. Then there was this time frame where teams were looking at just got, oh, we just want guys that just play baseball. We just want guys that just do this and just do that. And baseball became very, very, you know, specific. It became very specialized with guys that only did certain things. Right. And the shift came back around to where, okay, now let's just look at complete raw athletes and guys that can do things, which gets you to the Acunas and gets you to the Mookie Betts and the Shohei Otanis of the world. And Shohei Otani, uh, you, you kind of take him and you're like, all right, let's put you over here. Because like, you really <laughs> don't belong you have in to. this discussion because yeah. it's it's he really is. like he, he's He's an alien in a room full of freaks. So you, he, you kind of pick him up and set him to, on a different shelf. He's as close to Tiger thing. Woods as I think you can get right now. It I think really that's because like really late 90s, no rival. late 90s, early odds Tiger. I, I think that's that kind of player in that instance and in that glimpse of that time frame. I don't think people that are like younger now really appreciate how good he was between like 1999 nope. and like 2006. You're talking about guys that they changed. Not only yeah. the rules of sports, but playing surface. Like yeah. Shohei Otani had the rules changed for him. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean. That's like, insane. think about Absolutely that. Insane. And and Tiger Woods had golf courses redeveloped for him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what I'm talking about as far as like transitional yeah. players. And it's very it's, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, where you know they they limited the rules as far as him being able to dunk. So it's like, okay, he had to find other ways to score and can, and, and use the most unblockable shot in the game's history to do it, and was still the <laughs> NBA's all-time scoring leader before LeBron eventually passed him up. Like it, it has that kind of feel to it, to where you know a guy is so transcendent that everything kind of shifts around him, and you know now you 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 have that conversation with a guy like Otani and. Like you say, like you said, it, it kind of sets it in a different category. But guys like Acuna and Mookie Betts, even of themselves, are kind of in the kind of in their own category. Just like the the younger, like that first five or six years, Mike Trout yeah. was in his own category. I remind people of this all the time. If Miguel Cabrera doesn't win the triple crown, Mike Trout is the MVP and the Rookie of the Year. He pulls a Fred Lynn in seventy five. That's how good he was coming in the door. Yeah, that first six years, we're looking at Mike Trout going, can anybody else do what this guy's doing? And now you see guys like Mookie Betts and Acuna, and you're going, is there anybody else that can do what these guys are doing? Because it, you kind of see the things that we saw with Trout a decade ago, right. and they really kicked it up a notch. It's really impressive 
to see what some of these are doing. And that's not counting the Ellen De La Cruz's of the world or the O'Neill Cruz's of the world, right. who are also ridiculously, freakishly, just amazing athletes. And you're like, all right, let's see what these guys can do next. Because it's almost like you have to try to find a way to top it at this point. They are. And Jim, you've been following Acuna because you think he's one of the best players in the league. You you went to almost he's every so, game they were in Pittsburgh he's here. He's so dreamy. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous of him. Well, in all sincerity, though, I mean, is he just flat out the best player in baseball right now? I, I think so. You know, Josh mentioned about putting Otani in a different category. Like, and there, the way you can do that is like generational maybe doesn't fit, even fit Otani as much as that word gets tossed around. Mm-hmm. He's in like legend class with some of this stuff. Yeah. Now, if we want to just talk about right now, the best player and hitter that's still playing right now, I have a hard time putting anyone else at the top of that list when you do something that – I mean, you're talking 40, 70. I mean, I don't care right. about the slightly bigger bases. That's insane. And yeah, it's, it's so it's crazy. It's so over the top. And, you know, even when Canseco did it back, I mean, for a guy that size, that was 40, 40, incre- incredible for him. I mean, he was a Hulk stealing bases. But I just look at the Cunha, I think, like, as great as Mookie's been, as great as Freddie Freeman has been. I mean, how can you take it away from a guy, like an MVP from a guy that, oh, by the way, they, they, they might be the best team, and he's done something that no one's ever done and blew it out of the water in the process. I'm not going to let you me- mention Freddie Freeman without Matt Olson. Okay. Matt o- I was going to get to that. I was going to get to Matt, Matt Olson. Olson because- has been incredible. <laughs> here's what puts what here's what puts what Acuna is doing in the greater context. Because look at what some of his teammates are doing. Matt Olson has 53 home runs and he's driven in 134. He's slugging 600. Ozzy Albies has 33 home runs. Um, Austin Riley's hit 37. Um, Ozuna's got 37 home runs. He's not on a team where he's doing all of this by himself. Right. He's on a team that have four or five other guys. That might get that could get MVP votes in any other year. That's how good this team is. You look that lineup one to nine. That one to nine in Atlanta's lineup has probably eight or nine guys that could probably start on any other team. That could be complete one to nine guys or any other team, and they're doing it at every single level of the lineup. Last time I looked at this stat, I don't know if it's true anymore, but if you went by just batting order positions. I think Atlanta led, if not in every order, in every spot in the lineup. I think most of them, as far as home runs and slugging workers. Yeah, Josh is going to diminish That's how your stat. That team is it. Josh is going to diminish your stat with his own here. Our buddy Josh from Bridge to October. Josh Only on two. Josh Crime. Yeah, Josh on Josh I, Crime here. Only two. No, of the he's nine actually amplifying what I'm saying. Are under 20 home runs. Yeah, he's, he's amplifying what I'm saying because that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Two of your starters. Have t- have less than twenty home runs, and the the rest are just tearing over the ball. Uh, my our producer on um, fourth down in the Steel City podcast, Greg Finley from if you remember from the Sunday morning grind days, yeah, he yeah. is my producer, and we 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 talk daily, and a lot of times we talk about baseball. We have this big running joke joke where we call the Braves the bloodline because they are pretty much like the bloodline of baseball. Wrestling fans, if you know, you know. But they, they are the dominant faction in stable right now in baseball because they have this completely loaded lineup. And here's the crazy part. What they're doing with a pitching staff that has had injuries all season long, and it hasn't mattered. <laughs> they had their division clinched by the end of last month. It was nuts to see what this team has done. 
And in the middle of all that, you got a guy who's hitting 41 home runs with 70 stolen bases. On top of that completely stacked team, you could take that number, you could take what he's doing off of this team, and they'd probably still win the division. Yeah, that's insane. how good they are. It, that's it is. that's where you're talking about head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, I and, think that's what sets them apart. That's what that this is just a side comment. That's whenever you talk about the Pirates and where they're at and what they have to if they want to take another step and another jump. That's what you're facing if you want to be in the discussion. And that's what everybody's right, that's, yeah. That's, that, <laughs> that's yeah, everybody's that's it. That's everybody's a tough, chasing Atlanta. That's a tough road to climb or a tough hill to climb, but. I remember being at those games uh, when the Pirates took uh, split the series. I think, or they might have, yeah, they split the four game series with them in yeah. July or August. Every time I turned around and looked up at the scoreboard, I'm like, "Do they have anybody in their lineup with an OPS of under 800?" <laughs> I mean, like, I was like, "This is Loading. ridiculous." I mean, it's, it's insane. It's That's- it's it's so. It, it, you can't do anything but respect it. I, I mean, no. I'm so impressed by it. At this point, I just want them to win and win embarrassingly big. And <laughs> just, well, I mean, honestly, a lot of these teams, like, and I, I say this with with respect for what San Diego tried to do and what the Mets even tried to do. A lot of these teams have tried to go out and buy super teams, mm-hmm. and Atlanta has it bought it too. But they brought it in and developed it and strategically brought in pieces and plugs, and they have made this thing a stable super team that actually likes playing with each other and tries. And it's kind of amazing. Think about what Atlanta was 30 years ago, what they built in the 90s and going into the two aughts, and how they built that team. Remember, they went from worst in in baseball in 90 to winning the pennant in 91. And then systematically, brick by brick, John Schurholz just builds this team through yeah. scouting and through development and through trades. And they built this organization that was so strong in the lineup, that was so strong in the pitching staff. And this team now would probably thump those teams from 30 years ago. Boy, that's that's what they've managed that's to an do. interesting conversation right hey, there. Hey, guys, my yeah. wife just came home from the airport, and I forgot to unlock the door for her. So I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jim, okay. you're going to talk for a minute. You got bigger problems, buddy. Yep. <laughs> Pittsburgh Sports, we take pride in coverage that connects our city's fans to their favorite teams. Now, that connection's stronger than ever. Introducing our all-new state-of-the-art app. Find expert inside reporting and original podcasts. Check live box scores. Track the latest stats. Chat it up with our community of thousands of fans, all in one place. The new app from DK Pittsburgh Sports. Coverage that connects. We're back. I don't know what the hell's going on. Josh and me are going to take it from here. Gary, Gary locked his wife out of the house, so he may he may not be back. We may not see him again. Um, no, professional outfit we're running. All right. All right. Gary. Hey, Gary, get it together. Come Kudos on. Kudos to you for surviving that ordeal. Good job. <laughs> well, listen. I'll Is pay that black guy? I'll pay later. It's okay. Oh, I don't know. So let's, let's move back to the Pirates. This is the Pirates fan forum. We should finish up that way, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's start with our own stars. The Pirates want to lock up guys too, right? As they should. How about extension candidates? 
Jim, we know Keller's got to be the guy. Yeah, I, I'm. I said this before. I'm almost surprised that it hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, and that may have been right around the Otani time, whenever he, uh, you know, had the elbow issue. And I thought, you know, Mitch Keller, he 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 hasn't. He he's still looking for that first big deal, right? And I think every time he goes out there. We're talking about a guy who's now pitched 150 some innings last year, almost 200 this year. Sounds like they're not going to give him a chance to get to the 200 mark that he had wanted to. Um, you know, that's a lot of innings. And uh, at this point, any type of elbow Tommy John situation would really, really throw things into a um, real gray area for him. So I expect it to get done this offseason. I think that's one of the first things that I hope that they do. But because of both sides of this is that Keller, I don't think he wants to go into next year with that situation not wrapped up. I think the Pirates want to get something done too. So that's, uh, that's how I look at it. I agree with you. I think they should lock up Keller. Josh, I think you probably are going to think they should lock up Keller. Oh, I've, I've been I've been hoping for this to happen probably since June or July. I, w- I think when we got to the All Star break and he was on that All Star team and everything he had done to that point, even after he had started to slide a little bit, but then right at the ship, I was still in that boat of okay, you got to extend this guy, and for whatever reason. But I think in the second half of the season, he has shown you exactly why not only he's worthy of an extension, but also why this organization needs him so much. Because regardless of what you can look at with the numbers, and some will tell you, oh, they're kind of pedestrian. I don't know what's pedestrian about 210 strikeouts and 194 innings. I've never seen any that that kind of number look pedestrian, especially when when he's only walked 55 guys. That is Absolutely insane. When your strikeout to walk ratio is almost four to one, you're doing the job. There's no other way to describe it. Right. So when you look at it from that perspective, and also the fact that he has been without a doubt the most consistent pitcher on this entire rotation, perhaps in this entire pitching staff all season long, it becomes a no brainer. And that's not even counting the fact that, oh, yeah, you still got a bunch of other rotation spots that you need to solidify here in the next, you know, couple months with the offseason coming up because right now, you might have two that you really trust right. in Keller and Oviedo at the moment. You got to try to not only figure out the other guys that are going to complement these guys, but you got to make sure you have at least those two in-house and signed, sealed, and delivered and not having to worry about it so you can build everything else on top of it. I mean, I go in the next season already with their goal in mind. They want to get to the playoffs. Yep. Fine. You said it. Great. Jim and I have spent the last probably two or three shows talking about what they need to do. We know they need to get a couple starting pitchers. You can't just let it go. You know, they need to get a first baseman. No brainer stuff here. The holes are very obvious, very clear. You have to sign Keller for nothing else. The timing. Exactly. Next year's playoffs. 2025 should be division slash more, right? Yeah. Hopefully division next year. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, I have my own expectations. You, you want to be in the hunt, though. If you can't win the division, sure. you want to be in the hunt for the division. I agree with but that. Either way, you don't want Keller to be here in 2025, and then you have to downgrade right, again, right away next year. You don't no, want to have no. that 2015 to 2016 drop-off that people had. Remember after 2015 came and went, Jay Hat becomes a free agent and signs elsewhere, and you saw this 
just absolute precipitous drop off with the pitch in between 2015 and 2016. And everybody's like, wait a minute, was this team still serious about winning or what? What happened to this big change and everything that that transpired during that point? And you're right. You don't need that happening again 10 years later, Gary. You just don't need that going down, especially when people have been starving so much for that 10 year period just to get back to that point. We're assuming that they get to that point. You can't try to make that climb, or even if you do get to that point, you cannot afford to let yourself slide back down because you're not keeping your roster in, in the right position that it should be. And that's something that not only affects your organization, that's also something this fan base just cannot bear to have happen twice in a decade. Right. Jim, all that logic-y stuff aside that we all just spewed, if this were Tampa Bay, they wouldn't re-sign them. They wouldn't extend them. They'd trade them. Yeah, but you I'm know, just saying, like that's true. As soon as that's they do this, true. as soon as they do this, yeah, all the BS that this is the Tampa model goes away. Well, I mean, the the Pirates have have done this to themselves, though. They 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 are in a position where they're saying they want to compete. They don't have the starting pitching right now established to do it. Um, so you know what, whether whether or not that's what you wanted to be. Or not, it's tough, by the way. There's a reason everybody points to the Rays. It's because only the Rays have been doing it and doing it consistently. Right. And they, and they, they still managed to succeed while doing it, too. Which is crazy. Right. They still, have, they still haven't won. And they still haven't won. And I think there's this, this thought process from some Pirates fans, and I, I, I get it to an extent. You know, they're, they're, they're just waiting for Skeens to get here, and they think that that's going to be, you know, uh, a cure all in some. No form or fashion but as great as Skeens can be and as much as i love the pick and thought that that should have been the pick you can't count on him and you don't know anything about arrival time you don't know what his <laughs> health situation is going to be we just don't know they have to get past this the best way i can put it with paul Skeens is really to compare him directly to garrett cole Okay. Now Garrett Cole is a great pitcher. I don't care what you think he was here right now. You can't look me in the face and tell me that he's not a great pitcher. He is a truly great pitcher. He was not while he was here. He was a good pitcher while he he was here, a talented pitcher while he was here, a developing pitcher while he was here. He didn't get held back here. He was a kid learning how to pitch discovering who he was. And then in Houston, they helped him discover who he was really quickly in short order (laughs) and allowed him to cheat in ways that we didn't cheat. And, uh, (laughs) Hey, that's part of the story too. Yeah, it is. You're not wrong. Right now. He's a great pitcher. If you have chosen well here, this is what Paul Skeens will do. He'll come here. He'll be a very good, talented, on-the-rise pitcher here for three, four, five years. And then there's no hope of signing a guy like that if that's really what he does. Not in this market. But to, to Jim's point, and I'm glad you brought up Garrett Cole because I was thinking the same thing. But I also thought a step down like to the next level, I should say a step in the next progression of it. Because, yes, Garrett Cole, when he got to Pittsburgh, was the genuine article. You understood why he was 1-1. It made sense. 
But at the same time, after that run came of 2013, 2014, 2015, there was no one else that matched what he was able to do on the mound at that point. He was a good pitcher. He was a pitcher who was on the verge of being a great pitcher, like you mentioned. He wasn't there yet, but the potential was there. But there was no one else with him that could actually help carry this pitching staff. So we can expect Paul Skeens to come up here and be a world beater all we want to. But it's important that when Paul Skeens gets here, you better have a Mitch Keller you know, in line. You better have a Johan Oviedo whom you expect to continue to develop to be at that level. And you better have somebody else, these other two spots in rotation, even if it's just one guy. If you have four solid pitchers, you're probably got a shot in any, any series that you're in. But you got to have it there first. We can right. we can have all these expectations for Paul Skeens that we want to, but he only gets the ball once every five days. Someone's mm-hmm. got to take it each, each of the next four or else you're wasting an opportunity with, don't want to throw the word around too much, a generational talent <laughs> that won't be accented with enough guys to help put an entire team over the top. Let me put this up here real quick and then we'll move on to another candidate here. Uh my buddy Craig here says the Rays extended Snell five years, 50 million in pre-arb, and then they traded him. So he's basically correcting me on that. And he's right. If they had signed, if the Pirates had decided to extend Keller in 2021 to something like that, only probably cheaper the way he was pitching. Right. Okay. That's the Rays way of doing things. The only other guy I can think of as far as <laughs> two years left. No. And like the only thing I could think of that actually where they they signed someone to a deal that early is Evan Longoria. I want to say they signed him right. right before they called him up. And even then, even people in Tampa were like, wait a minute, they did that now? <laughs> you sure you want to do that? I, I think, think it worked I, out pretty well with Longoria. Aubrey yeah. Huff too, right? Wow. Well, that's even further back. Yeah, Aubrey Huff oh, around man. the same time. Regardless, oh. let's move on to another extension candidate because I hear O'Neill Cruz getting tossed around a lot. And boy, just seeing him taking batting practice yesterday, I suddenly found that a lot more reasonable a take than I did last week. So <laughs> I don't know that I know enough to extend O'Neill Cruz. But like we were just discussing, with, and I'll put it up again what Craig wrote here, like extending a guy young in pre-arb, missing all of that crap, and just getting a few extra years into their free agency. That's kind of what you'd be doing with O'Neill. Now, you're taking a, a risk by allowing him to play a full season without an extension because it's very likely that in a full season, he's going to price himself out of here. Mm-hmm. So do they take that leap this offseason? Should they? Jim, I'll let you start with this one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question. It's just simply because you don't want to get in this. Look, we know, we know the Pirates can do this. It's just that they can't afford to miss on it, you know, if it went really bad for whatever the reason. We'll see how the Rays deal with the Wander Franco situation and how they can recover from that if he if he never plays again. I mean, mm. my goodness. So, like, there can be – obviously, that's different. But I'm talking even just performance-wise, health-wise. You just never know. That being said, I would explore it again. I mean, I would I would – I would say, hey, you know what? It, I would reach back out to to you know his agent and say, this is something we would like to get done. What are you thinking? And go from there because I agree. Like once you let him play a full season, he's not going to want to do that if he puts up numbers. 
it, it, you, you'd almost have to do it now. And that's what sucks about him being out for the year. Mm-hmm. It just, it pushed everything back. It pushed him back developmentally. This should have been the year where he had to go through some ups and downs and get all that sorted out. We're, we see it a lot. Young guys come up. They rarely just, uh, they're rarely just up here and go straight up still. You're right. So it just, it just sucks because it, it, it set things back a good ways, and I would still explore it, though. I would. Josh, I think it's worth the risk. It's a risk either way. Let's be blunt. I, yeah, I'm going to bring this right back around to a conversation we were having earlier in the show, and I know it's not necessarily pirate-related, but he's a pretty good example of it. And we talked about the team that he plays for. Let's talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. Because he was a guy that, when he got the contract that he got, hadn't really had a lot of years of proof to show that he was worth the money that he got. But here comes Atlanta with, I got to look this up to make sure I'm correct here, eight years, $100 million contract. And that was really after what, one season? It, it, and it wasn't even a full season. I think he played maybe a little bit, over, a little bit more than 100 games. But Atlanta said, you know what? Let's get this extension done. Let's lock him up now. And he wasn't the only one they did this with. They did it with Spencer Strider with not, without a lot of, without a lot of evidence. They did it with Michael Harris without a lot of evidence. Yeah. They said, let's lock these guys up now while they're young. And they probably saved themselves a oh good chunk goodness. of money in the process doing it. Ooh. Now, granted, yes, there's risk attached to it. Okay. You might be tied to a certain amount of money for the next ever so many years. However, if you do it now, before you have a lot of evidence that suggests he might be worth more, you're going to save a good number too. So if he does play to the potential that we think he's playing to, he's going to look a lot more like a great deal. Like that Acuna contract right now for Atlanta looks like highway robbery. That right. guy had an <laughs> average of 12 and a half a year, that, and he just got 40, 70, it feels like an absolute steal. So if you're going to roll the dice on an O'Neill Cruz extension, now might be the time. Now might be the time to do it because you're probably going to get a more reasonable number right now. If you want to backload it, fine. It might look better if you backload it down the road anyway. But take that, maybe take that swing now and see what happens because the value that you could save by doing it before he drives his own number up, that could be where you make a lot of money in the back end and you're able to put it towards other people that can help actually help augment that roster. I mean, I'm down and the bat could be very special. I don't know if I know where he's going to play yet. Like, I think he's going to be a shortstop this year coming up. I think they don't, I don't think anybody did anything to steal the position from him. He's going to start at shortstop this year. It would be different if I felt Piguero was, he, he, it's his. He's a shortstop. My goodness. It's not like that. So I think he's going to start at shortstop, but I need to know if he's going to be in my major league shortstop through all this before I think I'm extending him. I don't know. That said, the bat, the risk might be worth it. So let's move on to another one that's sure to be controversial, David Bednar. It's the last one we'll do in this series before we get to our big question. So David Bednar, to me, you guys are going to hate me for this. I would not extend David Bednar. I don't believe in long lives for uh, closers. The days of Kent Tocalvi are over. Um, I use Bednar hard because he wants to be used hard. And I use him to win as many, as many games as I can in 2025. And, and then I, I sell him. I mean, I think they have, 
players like Majinski and Holderman that are going to develop into that type of pitcher, not to mention others that they'll probably develop along the way as well. Um, all these starters they have aren't going to be starters, folks. So, I mean, like, you never know what really can happen in the back end of that bullpen. I love the guy, Pittsburgh, true, but I would never send an extension on on a a, a closer. I'm sorry. Josh? Well, <laughs> Jim, whichever one of you wants to take the next grenade. Go, go for it, Jim. Go for it. Okay. Yeah, before I lose my train of thought here, it's a couple things. It's interesting how this does tie in a little bit to the hater situation and how players feel. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. So that, that, that is, that is something that I think we can expand on. The other thing is, is Gary, you hit, you hit the nail on the head is with closers. To me, they're kind of the running back of the NFL, uh, running backs of baseball. Analogy. You know, like, like, because I'm going to tell you right now, Najee Harris and David Bednar, we're going to be having the same discussions. It's just going to be a different size, different shape ball. And so you, you use those guys up. I could argue Bednar has been a lot more productive, but okay. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it will be, be a fair, it'd be a fair argument. Yeah. But, you, fair you, argument. but you see the correlation and that's, that's my thing. It is, is true. Um, at those guys. And I mean, unless you're talking elite, elite guys that have been doing it a long time and deserve, whatever they get. I just don't think you can, you can do that in these types of markets that, that the pirate, that the pirates are in. So yeah. Makes sense. Feel free guys. Yeah, Feel free. Uh, I actually agree with you guys, but for different reasons than that, even, but Jim has a good point. You know, the value of a closer, you can't really attach that to the same kind of value that an everyday player has, like a center fielder or a player that you know is hitting number two or three in your lineup or a starting pitcher that's taking the ball every fifth day. And when you give him the ball, you're expecting him to either win that game or put your team in position to win that game at some point during the evening. It's hard to put the value of a closer with those guys, knowing that, you know, you eventually have to talk about how much it might take to extend a guy like that. However, David Bednar is going into his arbitration years part of his contract. He is going into a part of his career where the process itself is going to tell you what his market value is anyway. You don't need to bid against yourself when the system's going to tell you what he's worth. So, yes, his value, considering the fact that he's, you know, one of the guys in line to win the saves title this year, I know saves are a statistic that you can't draw a lot of stock in. But as far as how these guys get paid, it has matter. It, it has a, a very important context to it. So he's going to find himself getting a nice pay raise considering the fact he's going to be one of the top guys in all of Major League Baseball and saves. We don't have to agree with how the process works, but that's how it goes. So it's going to be dictated for you. You don't really have to bid against yourself and risk getting into a contract situation where it might be disputed or getting yourself into a situation where you pay too much and then next season, he doesn't perform at the same level. And now you got this bloated, inflated contract that you can't move. No, but and you, you do don't want to have that. In, you do got to go into that arbitration process. We and talked you gotta about go. tell him he's probably having one too many iron cities. And you can, but you can also, you can also come to a deal before you get to that point. Sure. You can get to that point every year. We say, okay, before you get to arbitration, Hey, let's, 
here's what you, here's what your estimated the uh, value might be. Let's put a little bit more on top of it to make sure you're taken care of, and we have what we need on our end. And Nick would do that every year, and I think he's a guy who wouldn't be that offended by it, and probably would go along with it. Here's my caveat on Bednar: if you do want to extend a guy like that. You know, Charrington likes to do these tapered contracts anyway, you know, where, where they're either skinny in the middle or skinny at the end, or, you know, he, he likes to, to change the valuation every year anyway. <clears throat> Take a guy like Bednar, pay him up front, heavy, because he's your closer right now. He's probably going to be your closer here for a couple of years. And then you taper it off. Maybe it's a five or six year deal. It extends him a couple years into free agency. You keep him through like 26, 27, and he's cheaper at the end. So if he's no longer the closer, it's still okay. Because mm. he could still be a valuable bullpen arm, even if he's not a closer. Yeah, I, th- I think that gives, sure. them, that gives them a little wiggle, wiggle room on the back end. And, and you know, it, don't get me wrong, this would take hometown discount. But if anybody's yes, would. It, it's going to well, be good. yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would think that you know that's going to play into it. Um, but the thing about Bednar is, you know, the reason we're having this discussion is it's just it's just the nature of the position now in in, in baseball, and on top of it, you're just we're also dealing with a guy who has tended to wear down as seasons have gone on mm-hmm. and he's missed time. And so like, you know, he's really, he's really uh, the second half of the season, not been the same pitcher. He was in the first half. He's still getting the saves and he's wiggling out of some things, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's just, it's just being fair to the situation. I'm tr- not want to be critical of him. It's just when it, when it that's comes what we're time, dealing with. When it comes time to really have these tough decisions or discussions about David Bednar, it's not right now. But when it really comes time to have these discussions, I would just ask fans to forget where he's from. Really think about how much longer he's going to be good. And I wrote a column about that. So uh, there you go. Six or seven years ago. To that end, about another guy who played here who was from this area. Who left with said, back problems as well, right? Yeah. And left left with some injury issues. And I said, look, if he was from Piedmont, North Dakota, we would not be saying that we got to go out of our way to sign a, a second baseman who's on the wrong side of 30. That we, we said, if you be... trade them for a hefty bag full of used-to-be lefty pitchers, you're not going <laughs> like... to... You're probably not getting much in yeah. return either. I agree with that. And the thing I even suggested at the time was, hey... You know, and I, I went through an entire long discussion about this. I think it was with Trip Live Radio at the time. I said, look, you know, you could actually kill two birds with one stone and solve two problems. One, you can keep Neil Walker in town. And two, you can solve the problem of maybe having a guy who might be serviceable at first base and just move him over. And we found out after he left that they never even broached the topic with him. It was and never even did, And then what did every other team do with him? They made him a first baseman. It, him at first base. it, it just it seemed like the logical thing to do at the time because Josh, the we're still having the same conversations right now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable how have a have a first base. It's unbelievable right how history yeah. repeats itself. It does. Yeah. It it does repeatedly. And it's it's it was at the time that but the circumstances dictated at the time. Neil Walker was already on the wrong side of 30. His his range was already starting to diminish. I think everybody had seen that. Now, granted, yes, if the ball was in his general area, he fielded it and made plays. But as far as his range of motion, we knew it wasn't there with other second basemen, even other second basemen on that roster. 
who had better range at second base than him. So it seemed like the most logical thing to me at the time and say, hey, why don't you solve a couple problems here and make this move? And that way you keep him in town. Now, granted, you can't make that same case over the closer, but Gary's got a good point. If you're going to try to find a way or a reason to keep David Bednar here, even if he's not your closer for the entire length of the contract, at least if you have him here at a reasonable number, he's still in a very important part or a very important role with this team where he's still helping you win games. Yeah, he might not necessarily be your closer, but maybe now he's your eighth inning guy and still a really reliable one. Or maybe he's a guy that, God forbid, he's doing something like being a, a maybe earlier candidate where he's maybe one of your strongest middle relief guy that you bring in when the game is pretty close. Maybe he becomes more of a pure fireman role where you say, hey, hey this with- is the high." This is the highest leverage part of the game. Put him in this high leverage part of the game, but you still have a guy who closes it out in the ninth inning because we're seeing teams a little bit more creative with that, too. Maybe we play renegade to open games. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, David Bednar is an opener. I think I think the north side might burn. You pull that. Wow. No, I I think with Bednar, you've got a situation where if that happens, people say, well, you know, you want to commit that money to a guy that's not even going to close the games. I would say that's a great problem to have. If you have someone better and you have someone like Bednar, I would say sign me up right now because then that means, man, you've got someone better than him that's that's doing it. Right. And he's probably cheaper. He's probably cheaper. And you have him. Let's say you have him in that true fireman role because let's say you get to the seventh inning and the big, the, the most tough part of the lineup is there. It's a one-run game. It, you may not get to the ninth if you don't get through this part of the lineup. Okay, put him in there. Have him get through the seventh. And you still have your closer in the ninth inning that can still get the three outs that you need to get the game out. And it's yeah. a very Andrew Miller-type situation. I'm not saying he's the same exact kind of pitcher, but you could use him in the same kind of way. Well, you sort any like way you can shorten these games. Yeah, yeah any, exactly. Setting up for Holderman, Majinski, and Bednar to be like the Nasty Boys. Three... Choices that you could, you know, who I'm talking about, Myers, Charlton, and Dibble. I was, I was, nineties. I was a kid during those days, and if you if you got to that part of the game and the Reds had a lead, it was over. Yeah, it was done, and and they they had no problem blowing one by you. They had no problem throwing one at the inside of your shoulder. They had no problem blowing you away. That was a that was a crazy crazy group. And remember when they beat Oakland? I think that was what 1990. When they won the World Series and they beat Oakland, I think it was to do that, but it might have been, yeah, I think it was 90. Yeah, I think it was 90. It was 90. And, yeah. and remember what Oakland was in 88, 89, losing to the Dodgers and then beating the Giants. But since he came by, just blew that team away and they were part of it. And you're talking about the Bash Brothers A's, and these guys are like, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> yeah. coming right after you and blew you away. You put together a group like that, man. Even it doesn't even have to be that good. It could be 2016 Kansas City. It just with those three or four guys they have in the back end. Easier. And that was their MO. Kansas City's MO was all right, let's get enough runs in the first five innings. And that last those last four or three, if you're at home, all right, fellas, go in there, clean it up. Those three yeah. guys go in and it's over. And that could be a really useful way to use your bullpen in that structure. Well, and and what you've got is a situation where, and this is why I keep saying this, with whether you know if you can't get the starting pitching, get some get get the relievers. I mean, like let's shorten that game. If you only need five innings out of a guy, and okay, you feel that that's a a, a weakness on your team, and you can hand it off six, seven, eight, nine. I mean. 
don't give me the excuse you can't afford the starting pitching. Then go find it somewhere else and get the relievers and shorten that game and shut it down. Jim, right, that's what guys. they do in college baseball. That's what they yeah. do in college baseball. And, and this is one of those things where if you don't cover it every day, you may not understand it. If you're not in a town that has a college baseball program, you may not get it. But as far as college pitching goes, your starting pitchers, your first two guys, your Saturday and your son, your Friday, Saturday starters, those are your two best guys. They are going up against your best conference competition on the weekend. Your Sunday guy, he's your third best guy, but he may not be that strong. But your Sunday guy, if he's not one of your stronger starters, he may have a guy that's attached to him. That may be a guy that starts midweek and gets a couple innings here and there. He's attached to your Sunday starter, and those two guys might get you six, seven innings combined to still get you to your bullpen and get you through the weekend. And that's you're starting to see more teams take that approach. Tampa among them where, okay, we may not have a full rotation, but you can always take the college baseball route and still get the same results. Yeah, a lot of ways to build it. Starting rotation aside, I think we're starting to see the shell of this roster come together. So simple question time. This is how we'll close the show out. Four years in, are we where Charrington wanted to be? Pretty simple question, but not if you really think about it. (laughs) I I personally think we are where he planned to be, not where he hoped to be. That's a good way of putting it. I think he thought we would probably flirt with 500 this year, and I think we have, but I think he hoped they would do a little better. I actually think this offseason they showed us they hoped they would do a little better. They tried to supplement this team a lot more than they had in the past. I think that's a great way to describe it because from the fact that, that from the standpoint of the fact that they knew they had to pretty much – flush out this entire system, not just the major league roster. They had to flush out the entire minor league system and bring new talent in. And they knew they had to do that in short order. And I thought they did that fairly quickly within a couple of years, as far as just getting better minor league talent into this organization that you knew you had more promise with. Instead of just having one or two guys that you're pretty much attaching your hopes to, you got maybe six or seven guys that you're like, okay, if this guy doesn't pan out, you at least still have hope for this guy. You have hope for this guy. And you see, I know a lot of people they, they look at top 20 prospect lists and their eyes glaze over because who wants to try to go that far in depth? But if you're doing it right, a top 20 list should give you more hope than make your eyes glaze over. And I think that's something that he was trying to do in a short span of time. And I think for what they did with the minor league system, all the way through the major league roster, getting guys like O'Neill Cruz up here and some of the other prospects here, some of the trades that they made to get guys here, like a David Bednar, like a Jack Sawinski, uh, getting the most they can out of Brian Reynolds, and you're starting to see the emergence of a guy like Key Brian Hayes. I think from that perspective of the quality of talent that they wanted to try to at least use as the bedrock of the system, I think they actually accomplished that goal. But I think you're right as far as where they hope to be, as far as the results on the field. They're not there for whatever reason. You can say injuries being the problem, maybe a couple guys stubbing their toe in development. I think starting pitching being a part of that. Before this season, I said they can win as little as early, as low 70s or maybe as high as high 70s, maybe low 80s. But the, que- what the question was going to be, how good would their pitching be? You saw what it was in April, and you're seeing what it is in September. It was everything in between that I think contributed to where they are now. I think they hoped to get more consistent pitching during the course of the season, but yeah. they didn't. So they fell short. I should say they they hoped to have better consistency in pitching. So having the quality of talent was there as they planned, but the results weren't there as they hoped. I thought you summed that up pretty well, Gary. 
Jim, I think the only thing that I could say is all of that work that he did to empty out the system and and empty out the major league team and sift through and find the nuggets they wanted to keep and get to this point. I don't think that he's managed to find any really, really brightly shining elite pegs, except for maybe Paul Skeens and potentially Termar. What do you think? You're 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 right in step with where I was going. Is and this is the big thing, and this is why I will tell you. I think it's 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 behind. Is two reasons. The pitching this year has put it a little bit behind. Whether it's be through Ortiz, Contreras, and and Priester kind of not working out, and Burrows with his, talked about Ronzi Contreras, man. Yeah, Burrows with the with the Tommy John. Boy, that's that's for a team that's going to look for a lot of pitching inward. That's four guys, four. And then on top of it, I look around and you look at all these these teams that are absolute handfuls. And what they have is impact players. And I'm talking mm-hmm. impact guys. And so when I look around and I see, could, o- could O'Neill Cruz be that? Maybe. But I, but I would be like to be sitting here checking off one of those boxes already and, and knowing that I've checked it off and I can't do that yet. And so without impact guys, I don't think you're getting to where you want to go. So that's why I say, I would say that he's a little behind on things is because of those two reasons. If you want to know what keeps me up at night about whether this whole thing is going to work besides will Bob Nutting spend money? <laughs> I think it's probably the state of the pitching. Yeah, it's a lot too. of what happened this year. It's a lot of what happened this year because I believe that Paul Skeens will get here at some point next year. I do. I believe he'll force his way onto this roster at some point next year. I think he's that talented. And I think there's going to be really no holding him back once the Pirates are actually competing for something. You know, they're going to need that guy, I think. But the problem is a lot of the guys that I think need some time to develop, which is natural. Priester, I think Priester's going to take almost as long as Keller did Mm. because he's the same type of pitcher. He has to learn what he wants to play off of. Does he want to play off the curveball? Does he want to play off the fastball? That stuff takes a long time to figure out what type of pitcher you are, especially when you're riding the six homespun pitches. You know, they don't even know what to fix until they get to a certain point because nobody can touch you. Like, he just started getting touched this year, really. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a while to really, like, get through to a guy like that. Well, now you're in a situation where the team has gotten to a point where these guys are going to be wanting to start trying to break through. And the Pirates, all of a sudden, it's not the just happy-go-lucky um, high-wire act with a net underneath that it used to be because nobody cares. We don't expect to win. Now you do. You can't bring guys up here with training wheels and expect them to get you to that goal. Yeah, they got to be ready to swim. They can't be up here trying yeah. to churn water or sinking. Yeah. I think that's fair. I've used this theory probably going on, what, three or four years now, about how this team, and not only this organization, but other organizations around baseball have really gotten good at doing this, but this is something that this team absolutely has to do to have any kind of hope. I've been calling it the kids in pitching theory, that you have to be able to develop 
young players through your system and have them be homegrown guys that you can get locked down to long-term deals. And yes, of course, I'll use Atlanta as the model because I think they're doing it better than anybody. But at the same time, whether by hook, by crook, however you acquire them, you got to have the pitching that keeps your team in every game it plays. And if you go back just through the past 10 to 12 years of teams that either made it to the World Series or played in the World Series. Those are the teams that you're looking at that have been able to do it, especially the ones that have been able to do it over time. They've done it because they have really good development, guys that have stuck around for the long term, and they have rock-solid pitching that keep them in it, regardless of when if if an injury happens here or there. If right. one guy tends to dip a lot in the lineup. You can yeah. still get you can still get the most out of that collective group because it's built a lot better. I think that's got to be the end game for this organization, but I think you guys are right. They have hit some serious speed bumps on the way to get there, or maybe even some detours on yeah. the way to get there. Will they ever get there? It's it still might be too early to call. Some folks probably don't want to hear that, but I think it's true. And a couple th- couple more things have to happen. And all those pitching injuries really derail my theory what we're talking about here, but I think that's the important part of it. And you got to build in that direction because if you don't, you're going to be even further away than you are right now. Yeah. They need to embrace something, Jim. I think they need to stop thinking that these guys have to come up here and be starters right away. They need to be open to allowing them to start in the bullpen. I think, well, they're going to have to be now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, that's you know, another change that I think comes this year. Like, I think you're going to see Jared Jones probably debut in the bullpen next year and maybe work his way back into a starting role. However, it's, it's you got, however, you got to do. Yeah, however, you're going to, you, however, you got to bring some of these young guys up to speed, you're going to have to do it. You know, um, that goes with Contreras, that goes with Ortiz, that goes with they've been doing it with Priester, and I think it's worked to a degree. Um, so I just, yeah, I think you've got to figure out a way to get these guys up to speed quickly because, Gary, what you said was there's no time now to put your swimmies on and see and see mm. if you can swim because you're expecting, you've said you're expecting things to be different. Right. So. So you have to slowly expose them to major league pitching. That's all. And or major league hitting. And you start doing that in long relief roles. You know, um, you can't just wait for double headers and injuries because then you need them. And then they better be good. You know, that watch the way the Cardinals do things. I, I say this all the time. Just watch the, way the, the model, man. Like they've been the model for, for I decades. Know, I know they had a bad season this year, but my God, just Watch what they normally do. Watch like a guy like Nolan Gorman come up. Nobody thinks about him. Nobody talks about him. Then all of a sudden, he's he's been around for three years. He's played nine different positions, and now he's batting fifth for them and hitting twenty five home runs. Like, and they always get a guy that fits that mold. They've yeah. always got a guy like that. I was able a decade. I can't believe it's been a decade. A decade ago, my first TV job as an on air um, on air talent was in. Um, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Fort Smith, Arkansas. But I got a chance to cover the Royals AA affiliate that was in Springdale. One of the teams that we saw the most frequently was the Springfield Cardinals. They were just up the road in Missouri, and we would see Springfield come through. And you'd see some of the talent that the Cardinals would bring through in Springfield, like the Oscar Tavares's of the world and and the Colton Wongs. And you're like, these guys are going to be in the show. Because they have AA, you're going – Man, these guys are good. Like you, yeah. you're sitting there going, "Okay, now I understand how the Cardinals are built the way they are because they bring in two or three no doubters. 
every year. And now, granted, usually some of the other teams like Midland would come through. They had Sonny Gray. You knew how good he was. Um, you'd see one of the other teams. I'm trying to remember who, exactly who it was, but they'd bring in um, – I was now filled with Houston. I can't remember his name, but it'll come back to me later. But every team had one or two, no doubt, guys. Springfield had three or four. And you're like, you're going to see a couple of these guys in the show. Sure enough, I get back to Pittsburgh 2014, 2014, 2015. These guys I was looking at double A, they're right over there now with the Cardinals in the minor if league, all, in the in the major league roster. If, you're only like, you knew, if only you knew what Colton Wong was going to be to the Pirates and how much he was going to kill them, you could have done something about that, Josh. But no, I know. there could have been a nexus yeah. event that could have <laughs> taken place. I know. And, and I, I say all that with the total understanding of, you know, a guy like Oscar, Oscar Tavares, rest in peace, because he eventually lost his life in a tragic way. And same thing with a guy like Yordano uh, Ventura, who was with the Royals double-A team, ended up with the Royals and ended up eventually passing away. But these were guys that you saw come through, and you're like, man, you knew these guys were going to be good when you saw them. And for some odd reason, every time Springfield came through, they had a couple of them. You're like, really? Yep. Like It was almost like that that team when you played like your younger ball years, like you're playing like 10, 11, 12 ball, and they got like four or five 12-year-olds that are better than everybody, that are bigger than everybody, like they have facial hair. That's yep. what they felt like because they always had guys like that in that system. Birth certificate time. Hello, guys. Call it. Exactly. Guys, I already screwed up once here with my wife, so I don't have to do a long show on top of it and, and get in more trouble. Let's Fair go enough. ahead and end the fun because, man, this was great talking baseball. Yeah, this was Love awesome. It, Love it. I'm Jim, always honored any, to be with you guys to talk with you. Jim, any parting shots from you? No, man. I this This was so fun. This was so good. I hope people tune in. Josh is always very gracious. Always. And um, I just love sitting around talking sports, man. I, I just, it, it, this is the best. Josh, man, awesome having you again. And uh, you can tell your passion for the game hasn't gone, even as you've been pulled in other directions and have to pay attention to other things. It's, it's always there. There's something that always draws me back to baseball. I think it's because it's a sport I played when I was younger. Um, I, I cover a lot of football, high school and college and pro. And I, I don't get me wrong. I, I still love covering football and I love talking about it. Yeah. But there is always something that will draw me back to baseball. It's actually the thing that I have the most experience with covering high school baseball, covering the minor leagues, covering college ball with the program I covered in Arkansas and the SEC, then getting a chance to cover MLB. So it, it, there's a lot of a deeper root taken in the ground there. So I could, even if I wanted to run away from baseball, there would be something that would just completely pull me back in. It would be, it would be Michael Corleone and Godfather Three. Just when I thought I was out. So hey, it, that that's said, tell everybody again about your your podcast, the, your new podcast. Yeah, fourth down in the Steel City uh, through the Odyssey app um, with uh, myself, Chris Mack from 93.7 The Fan, and also Greg Finley is producing it. Uh, you can find it on the Odyssey app, and you can find it on YouTube. We have a YouTube stream as well. Um, of course, the TV side, KDK TV, uh, the nightly sports call every night, 1035 on KDK Plus. And also, you can catch me on weekends on 93.7 The Fan. Doing a lot of Sunday afternoons and Sunday evenings, some Steelers post-game stuff, things of that nature over the course of the football season. So I'll be there doing that. I probably won't talk as much baseball, which will torture me a bit, but that's okay. We'll still have the hot stove season to kind of even things out once once we get through to that. But still, you know, I, and, I'd love to keep me busy during that time period. Andy's co-authored a bunch of books. Go on Amazon and look his name up. You'll find all kinds of stuff. By the way, um, what seven 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 uh, published works I've already been uh, involved in. 
Number eight's coming up, and I don't want to give you too much information, but it is a baseball-specific, baseball-related book. Oh. I'm writing the foreword for it. I'm very excited about it. I hope you guys buy. When I get more information about it, when it comes time, I'll let you guys know. But please, I get to work on a baseball please. project I mean, for the first time since the Pirates Guide days with uh, with Jason Ross and rest in peace. Beautiful. Your friend. But for the first time in years, I get to work on a baseball-specifically related podcast. Okay. Yeah, come back on and promote it, man. Come, come back on and promote it. Josh, you're one of the best. I'm not saying that just because you're on the show. You truly are. You truly yeah. are. Appreciate you. Hey, I was hey last thing out for me though, before we toss it off to Ben is uh, just, Hey, prayers for uh, Tim Wakefield. Heard the yes. news that he's got a brain tumor. It sounds like he's already had surgery. I don't, I don't know any more specifics, but either way, I just hope yeah. everything's good with him. Absolutely. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. And without further ado, Ben, take it away. For those of you watching on video with us, Hey, I'll do it. Let's go bucks. Let's go bucks.